0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from two different passages in Matthew, uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 4 and chapter 9, 14 and 15. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, "If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread." Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Matthew 9. Then Jesus' disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast.
1: Well, good morning. This month we've been spending some time learning how to pray and hopefully we are doing that. Hopefully we're learning how to pray. We started off at the beginning of the month looking at some of the foundational things that we learn about prayer. Things like uh, God wants us to communicate with God in prayer. Uh, Things like you can pray anywhere. And you can pray about anything. We talked about uh, some postures and practices that sometimes what we do with our physical bodies or the kinds of prayers that we pray can, can change and shape our prayer lives. And then last week, Helen uh, introduced us to the theme of presence and prayer, being aware of the opportunity to pray and how so many opportunities in our lives are, are prayers in and of themselves, and that we can be aware of that and uh, pay attention to God's presence all around us. And hopefully we've been given some food for thought as we continue to grow as praying people. And speaking of food, this morning we're going to talk about prayer and fasting, all right? So Matthew chapter 4 verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Now, any of you who have teenage kids will be able to identify with this, or if you remember your own teenagehood, um, when my kids come home from school during the day or when no one comes home for the weekend for university, the very first thing that they do is walk over to the fridge. It's just like an automatic thing. You don't even think about it. You just walk in the house, over to the fridge, open it up, what is in there for me to eat? And I've been thinking, like... Uh, I I often tell my kids, you know, just wait. Like, we're preparing dinner. Like, just hang on. You don't need to make, like, a sandwich now. You don't need a bowl of ice cream right now. Like, dinner is being made. Just hang in there. So, I was thinking that I would maybe get one of those word stencil things and put this verse from the Bible, like, up in our kitchen, right? You know? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No, don't tell me you're hungry. Jesus didn't eat for 40 days and he was hungry, right? You're not that. It's been three hours. Wait for dinner. Well, Jesus was far from the first person to fast, but I was thinking to myself as I was preparing for this message, like, where did the idea of fasting come from? Who first started this? Is it something that originated in the Bible, or was it elsewhere? Uh, And actually abstaining from food for spiritual purposes was part of the fabric of ancient cultures, Um, not just in the Jewish culture that we learn about in the Old Testament of our scriptures, but in other cultures as well. As one historian writes, from earliest antiquity, people scattered all over the world have, for one reason or another, abstained themselves from food and drink for a shorter or longer time as individuals or as a community. And so this is a practice among ancient cultures, and there were a number of different reasons that people would have done this. A few examples, not an exhaustive list by any stretch. One would be to abstain from food so that the dead might make use of it. So if we don't eat food, then it'll help feed our ancestors who have died before us somehow. Uh, Another would be to increase the susceptibility to visions and dreams. I think we all know that if you eat too much pizza too late at night, you have weird dreams. Well, I guess people thought that if you don't eat any pizza at all for a long period of time, you might have weird dreams. Uh, Some people would do it in preparation for a sacred meal. that I want to stop eating so that by the time I eat this special meal, I will be prepared for it and others in humbling self, oneself before one's God, whatever the God of a particular nation would have been at the time. When we open the pages of the Bible, we find this uh, command in Genesis two sixteen to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so the first command that God gave to humanity was to avoid eating certain food. Now, yes, technically this is not fasting, but it illustrates the truth that at times refusing to indulge in something especially appetizing might serve to keep us out of trouble. But the first instance about fasting is actually, an it happens with uh, an interaction between God and Moses, where God invites Moses to meet him up on Mount Sinai. And this is famous scene where the Ten Commandments were given. And in Exodus thirty four twenty eight, we read that Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights without eating bread or drinking water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Forty days, forty nights, no food, no, no water. Um, like the car commercials say, "Do not attempt." Do not try this at home. I don't know that it's, it's... I don't think that it is physically possible to go 40 days without food or water. I mean, that, there's something miraculous. There's something supernatural happening in there. It's like these commercials. You've seen them. Professional drivers, uh, this one. Professional driver on a closed course. Do not attempt. Cars cannot fly. Uh, actually, I found this one. This is my favourite one. The next. You will never be allowed to do this on a test drive. Ever. Right, so... The fine print says, don't try this at home. So the, don't start, certainly, with the 40-day, 40 40-night, 40 no food, no water fast. But some people have done this down through the years. Moses, so we you read in Exodus that Moses did this. Also, the great prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days. And then Jesus, as well, we read about this morning. But they weren't the only ones. Moses, Elijah, Jesus and controversial performance artist David Blaine. That's right. In 2003, that's David Blaine with an alligator. But in 2003, David Blaine had himself suspended in a plexiglass box 30 feet above a a crowd of Londoners aside the Thames River. And he went 44 days on a fast of only four and a half liters of water a day, he was like Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Psh, I'm going to like up it by ten percent here, and so he left in that box. Uh, at the end of it all. Uh, He lost 55 pounds. He had symptoms of starvation, including depleted organ and bone mass, heart palpitations, breathing problems, and a loss of skin pigmentation. So this is like an extreme fast, and it's a modern day example that gives us an idea of like how significant what Jesus was doing would would have been like. It's hard for us to picture that, and I think sometimes we just imagine Jesus kind of walking around, and he's doing a OK. but this would have been a challenging experience for him for sure. But biblical fasting wasn't about publicity. Along with prayer, fasting finds itself, rises to the surface in scripture for a number of different reasons. We find examples of it, uh, people fasting and praying for success in battle, for relief from a famine, for success in other endeavors. Uh, A specific example would be the story of Esther when she wanted to approach the king with this significant request. She asked people to fast and pray along with her. In the prophet uh, Joel's book, announce a holy fast, proclaim a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the temple, of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. The story of Jonah, he went and preached to the town of Nineveh, and this, he preached this message of repentance, turn from this wicked way of your living, and the Ninevites did. They turn, and we read in Jonah 3, verse 5, that the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they declared a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And so these people who had no background uh, with the Jewish people at all, they, uh, they come to this newfound faith in God, and they describe, decide that the way that they want to honor this decision is to fast. I came, up with this, uh, or I, I came across this great example, uh, a description of m- an idea of why fasting might be a significant part of a spiritual practice. Uh, it says, the act of fasting reflects the disrupted state of affairs in the circumstances around it and also engages the person fasting in behavior that intensifies the experience of the abnormality of the situation. We'll come back to that in a little while, but basically what what they're saying is that fasting, it does something to you to mirror and to reflect and to parallel what is happening in the world around you. So your nation is in trouble, a family member is sick, you have a stressful thing going on, so you go through something with your body that helps you actually physically identify with the circumstances around you. Like some of the physical postures that we talked about two weeks ago, fasting gets our whole bodies involved in prayer. So let's take a look for a minute at the second passage that Melody read for us from Matthew chapter 9. Then John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And he was his spiritual wingman, if you will. Uh, John lived in the desert. He lived a very different life than Jesus lived. Uh, They were both kind of announcing the coming kingdom of God, John the Baptist. His role was to kind of announce the kingdom in advance of Jesus' arrival. But Jesus kind of continued this similar message and expanded on it, of course. But they lived very differently. John and his disciples, they lived out in the desert. And they lived a very austere uh, way of living. So uh, he lived in the desert. And he would eat. Only locusts and wild honey. Now, I had honey on my toast this morning. I don't have a problem with honey, but I have no interest in eating locusts and probably would actually rather fast than eat locusts. But this was, again, in a, in a sense, he was denying all of these pleasurable foods, all of these enjoyable foods, living on this really strict diet as a way of kind of reflecting what was going on spiritually. John's followers then were characterized by a kind of fasting that went even beyond uh, the demands of Jewish law. And so you can imagine that they see Jesus, who is supposedly greater than their leader, John, and Jesus and his disciples, none of them are fasting. He's like, okay, wait a second. We're living, we're living out here in the desert. We're eating like locusts and wild honey, And this one who's supposed to be even greater than our master, they're just eating normally. Actually, I don't think they fast at all. What's going on? And this is the context of this question. Well, Jesus answered them, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. You don't show up at a wedding and say, I'm going to pass on the meal. No, the meal is part of the celebration. And so Jesus is saying like, I'm here. This is the time for feasting. This is the time for celebration. When I'm not here anymore, then that will be a time for them to enter into this practice of fasting. All right, I'm going to ask you to do something that I've never asked you to do before at uh, Elevation, and I'm going to ask you to take out your phones. All right. So I'm going to ask you to take out your phones. If you do not have data and you have not hopped on the Y here before, here's the link for you. TLC guest, that's Trillium Lutheran Church guest, and the password is 22 Willow. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of a a live poll in a minute here. So you want to hop on and get yourself connected, and then you're going to go to this next slide. John, you can throw it up there for me. All right. So we're going to do a a little poll here. So you're going to go to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, and when you get there, you're going to see a little window, and it's going to say enter your code here, and you're going to enter the code T496, and it'll get you to another screen, and you can... I think there's a selection you can click on live polls there. There won't be anything there, but just hang on a second. Um, There's this book in the Old Testament of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It's a book of wisdom. And there's a, a famous passage in it that says, there is a time for everything a season for every activity under heaven, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And this is kind of what Jesus was getting at. He's saying, listen, now is not the time for fasting, but there will be a time for fasting. And I think there's an assumption in Jesus' words here that we often forget. Jesus said, they will fast. He said, like, they're not fasting now, but my followers will fast. And so what I thought we'd do is do a little poll here. So... If you're on that little site, you're going to see a poll. Uh, there's two things at the end: Q and A and live poll. So click on the live polls, and then you're going to be able to uh, then you're going to be able to respond to that. All right. Connection lost. Oh, that's unfortunate. Are you seeing the poll question there? Are you seeing that? There we are. There we go. Okay, so now you're seeing the poll, and well, first response in. So just click your answers. The, the question again, when was the last time you fasted? Uh, Five-plus years ago, never within the last month, one to four years ago, within the last year. So take a second, click that off. I think there's a little submit button at the bottom, and if you click that, then we're going to get a sense of kind of whether or not Jesus' followers will, in fact, fast. He said they will. Let's see if they do. All right. Some of you are still trying to figure out the password. Okay, well, before we lose connection again. All right, so when was the last time you fasted? The most significant, 48%, so almost half of the, of the room here, five-plus years ago. 20% of the people here, one in five people, have never fasted. Uh, 12% within the last month. 12% within the last year. 10% one to four years ago. All right, so I, I wanted to ask this question because, again, there's this assumption in what Jesus said. He said, like, you know, now is not the time, but the time will come and people will fast. But fasting is not something that we necessarily talk about a whole lot, and I'm not sure how significant this is a part of our spiritual lives. And, and I think what we realize by this is that at least, like, we're talking 40, 50, 60, 70% of the people in this room have not fasted within the last five years, Right? So I'm going to change that this morning. My goodness. Okay, we'll take this poll again next week. All right, that's it. Thanks for participating. Appreciate that. That was great. All right, so John Wesley uh, once said that some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason. And others have utterly disregarded it. Well, what does he mean when he says that people have exalted fasting beyond all reason? Actually, Jesus addressed this. In the Sermon on the Mount, a couple weeks ago, we talked about his commentary on prayer. He has some commentary on fasting there as well. He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so here we have an example of this, like, exalting fasting beyond anything, that somehow this is this super spiritual thing, and and I want everyone to see, you know, that I have been fasting. I want everyone to know just how hungry I am, just how spiritual I am. So Wesley says, yeah, some people do that, um, and other people utterly disregard it. And I think what the poll results said, and this isn't a guilt thing, this is just a reality thing, that fasting is not a part of our regular kind of conversation, and not a part of our regular vocabulary as a community. And we want to ask some questions of ourselves, why is that? Why is that? In Mark chapter 9, there's another passage um, in, the, in the Gospels. A man brings a boy to Jesus, disciples for healing. Jesus is off doing something else. And so they go to Jesus, his closest followers, and they say, like, can you drive this demon out of him? He's possessed by a spirit. Can you drive this spirit, evil spirit out of my son? Um, only to find out that they were not able to cast it out of him, actually. They were unsuccessful. And so, essentially, he approaches Jesus and says, well, you know, I tried going to your followers, uh, but they weren't actually able to help my son. Can you do anything? And Jesus is like, yes, I can. And he drives this evil spirit out of the boy. And after Jesus had gone indoors, we read in Mark, this is Mark 9, 28 to 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciple asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, well, this kind can come out only by prayer. And there's an interesting uh, little note in here. When you read your Bible, whether it's a physical Bible that you hold in your hand or on a tablet or your phone, uh, you'll often see little letters like this. And at the end of there, oh, only by prayer, and there's A and little kind of brackets there. If you... If you'd wondered what that is and why are these extra letters in there, if you click on that, if you're looking at it on a device, uh, or if you look at the bottom of the page, if you're looking at it in a print version of the Bible, you'll see a little note. And that little letter means that there's, there's something that, that you should know about this passage. And in this particular one, it says that actually some manuscripts, Jesus says some, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting, all right, so they say, it seems like the most reliable manuscripts. Jesus just says it comes out by prayer. But there's some records of this gospel that actually say that Jesus indi- indicates that this kind of healing can only happen uh, due to prayer and fasting. I was thinking about it, it's like those, you see these commercials for those laundry scent boosters, it's like, you know, as if for some reason they just don't design, you know, laundry detergent to smell good enough that now you can can boost it and make your laundry smell even better. And so you put these little beads or whatever in your laundry and everything smells wonderful. Um, Like the disciples who seemed unable to help the boy in Mark 9, a lack of response from God can be confusing. It can raise troubling questions. Why isn't this work? Why don't my clothes smell so fresh? Why is this healing not happening? Why is this situation still not working out? And in this particular example, now I am not saying that this is like the answer to everything, but Jesus seems to indicate that there are some situations that rather than just kind of thinking about it, you need to pray about it. And there are some situations that maybe rather than just praying about it, you need to pray and fast about it. There's not a formula to follow. This isn't some magic thing, but there's a hint here for us to consider that when there's something significant that we want to bring before God, fasting might be something that we want to consider bringing into the repertoire there. It's not clear what the role of fasting might be in boosting uh, the scent of our praying, so to speak. But I know that from my own experience, that it absolutely increases my focus, my awareness, and my faith. For those of you who have not fasted... I guess I would describe it this way. And I think this is actually something that's fairly easy to identify with, even if you haven't fasted for spiritual purposes. If you have gone like a day without food or a half a day without food, you begin to notice like like your stomach starts growling and you feel kind of like that knot. And if you go long enough without eating, it's really the only thing you think about. Like, all that you think about is, I need something to eat now. And there are jokes about it, are you hangry, you know, and this like that. And, and there are chocolate bar commercials that suggest that their chocolate bar is the solution to this. But it's like when your stomach is, is demanding that you feed it, it just draws your attention to that. And so you can imagine that, what that sensation of hunger is like. Now, if you do this intentionally, if you say, I'm going to intentionally go without something, go without this food for an extended period of time for this spiritual purpose, then what's going to happen when you hear your stomach rumble or you feel that tightening in your gut? What's going to happen? Well, you're going to in- instantly have your attention drawn to that thing. And what is the most likely thing that you're going to do when your attention is drawn to the circumstance that you're fasting for? Well, you're probably going to bring it to God in prayer. And I think that's been my experience in fasting is that one of the best benefits of it is that it is like a constant reminder to you throughout the day or whatever the period is that there's something missing. From earlier, I want to read uh, that quote again, or a couple of elements from that quote. Fasting reflects the disrupted state of affairs. So maybe it's a body that's unwell. Maybe it's a a work situation that is uh, frustrating. Maybe it's a relationship that's breaking. Maybe it's something in the world that is just so overwhelming. So fasting reflects that disrupted state of affairs, and it intensifies the experience of abnormality. Because something that is supposed to be Uh, taken care of in your body is not being taken care of. And you're experiencing this abnormal feeling of hunger, and that's reminding you of the abnormal feeling that you're joining your own experience with in fasting. And so in fasting, we participate more fully in and literally embody what we're praying for. Uh, Matthew Henry, the 18th century Bible commentator, said, how many dry prayers, how few wet ones, do we offer up to God? And I think this kind of goes along with this theme of fasting as well. Some of the, the prayers that we pray, they're dry, But there's something something wet about fasting. There's something that when we involve and engage ourselves physically in the things that we're praying about. Now, since the 4th century, it's a long time ago, Christians of many traditions have set aside a period of time uh, leading up to Easter for focused spiritual development. It's a season known as Lent. Now, if you haven't heard of Lent before, you've heard of its precursor, I'm sure, Mardi Gras. If you have a basic uh, teaching in French, you'll know that Mardi Gras basically means Fat Tuesday. Uh, So Mardi Gras is the big party that happens before the season of Lent begins. So we don't dress up in costumes and have parades as churches. We eat pancakes. So that's how we celebrate Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras um, before the beginning of Lent. So Lent is this prolonged period of fasting. And so when you get together here in the church gym with us on Tuesday night for some pancakes, it's to celebrate and have this feast together before we begin A season of intentional uh, communal fasting, if you will. And so there's this 40-day period between Ash Wednesday, which is this week, February 26th, and the Saturday right before Easter Sunday morning, which is April 11th. It's a time of spiritual consideration. It's a time of renewing uh, Christian communion uh, commitment. So maybe uh, you've been on a journey of faith or you're exploring faith, and this could be a time to say, you know what, in the period from from Ash Wednesday through Easter, I'm going to actually take this time to really take this pursuit of faith in God seriously, or if it's a commitment that you've already made to say, this is the time that I want to go deeper. I want to be focused and intention in building my relationship with God. Now, traditionally, people choose to give something up during this period to illustrate their devotion to following Christ. So you might choose to give up junk food, for example. Or maybe you will choose to give up Netflix. You talk about, like, well, that doesn't affect my stomach. Well, I'm sure it affects other things, giving up Netflix for a month. Um, or maybe you give up coffee, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, now, the, the saving grace in this is that Sundays are exempt because you think, I could never go 40 days without Netflix, junk food, coffee, whatever. I could never do it. Well, you don't have to because every Sunday is like a mini Easter, and so Sundays aren't fast days. So Sundays a bit of a cheat day as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection in the midst of anticipating uh, the resurrection at Easter. But what's the point of doing this? Why would I give something up during the season of Lent? Will it make me more spiritual? Andrew Murray writes that fasting helps to express to deepen and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice everything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. It's a symbol, it's the sign to God. I'm willing to give up anything to pursue your kingdom in this world and in my life. And so when lent by denying ourselves something we enjoy, we discipline our will so that we're not ruled by our pleasures. And you might say, well, what's so bad about eating chocolate or watching TV? And the answer is there's nothing bad about it. If you're thinking about giving up something bad for Lent, I would just encourage you to give it up now. Give it up this morning. Don't wait till Wednesday. Just start now. But the idea is to give up something that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the idea of creating a hunger or creating a longing or a desire for something that will channel your desire to God. It's not really about what you give up. It's about what you gain. So something like giving up food, it's a normal part of our human existence, or maybe you want to give up something that's a part of your daily routine so that it creates an empty space. It disrupts the rhythm of your life. You're about to pick up your phone and you realize, oh, I'm not going to touch my phone, you know, before nine o'clock in the morning. Or, or you say, oh, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. No, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not going to have tea this today. And the hunger, the longing, that empty space that's created, it draws your attention to God. A couple of weeks ago, Sophia, my now 17-year-old daughter, uh, passed her G2 test. Very exciting. Um, and on the way there, it was funny because we were driving to the test, and she wanted to be there at a certain time. And then as we were driving, I realized she couldn't drive in the expressway. So I would kind of miscalculated the time I was going to get there. And she, and then I was like, oh, shoot, I don't want her to be late. So I popped it into the GPS. And the fastest route to get to the driver's training st- center was down a, a road that I've never been on in our city before. And I was like, I've lived here my entire life, and it's uh, Riverbend Drive is where it is. So if you go all the way out like, out Bridgeport, I have been to that intersection a thousand times, and 900 times I've turned left and 100 times I've turned right, and I've never gone straight. And so we got to the intersection, and the GPS is like, go straight. I'm like, oh, here we go. So we go straight, and she's driving, and, and I'm looking around. And when you're driving somewhere you've never been before, what happens? You start noticing things, right? You, start no- you notice everything. I didn't know that company was here. I didn't know that was here. I didn't see- I've didn't never seen that before. I didn't know that's where the street was. You pay attention to everything when it's new. And I think that's part of what fasting does. It helps us pay attention in a new way. When, when things are not our normal routine, when things are just a little out of, uh, of the normal order of things, we begin to see things that we haven't seen before. And so I would encourage you during the season of Lent to consider, like, am I willing to drive down a path I haven't been down before in hopes that maybe I'll experience something or see something that I haven't seen before? Fasting helps us pay attention in a new way. We notice things about ourselves. We notice things about others. We notice things about the world. We notice things about God. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That response comes on the other side of this time of focus and determination, that when a temptation was brought to Jesus, take an easy way out. Provide for yourself. Take care of yourself. Look out for number one. But because Jesus had been through this season of intense focus, he was able to respond and say, no, like, I don't need this. What I really need is my Father in heaven." Jesus' 40 days gave him laser focus and a confidence that God God would provide for him. And so denying ourselves things of lesser priority shows us that they're not in fact necessary, at which point we can begin to focus on what is necessary. As Richard Foster says, fasting helps us keep our balance in life. Now a few years ago, when Elevation first started observing Lent, because it really wasn't part of our tradition uh, as a community. Uh, but we began to practice it. I kind of fell in love with it right away. And I remember talking to a colleague, a pastor in town, a pastor of a church that I used to attend prior to Elevation's beginnings. And I said, why did we never do this? Like, why would we never observe Lent? And the response was that, well, we're just supposed to fast all the time. And I thought, well, there is some truth to that. Yes, you do not have to wait until the spring to have a season of fasting and all do it together and do it for 40 days. You do not have to do that. Fasting can happen anytime and anywhere. But I think there's something profound and, and beautiful even about doing something like this together. And so I would encourage you. Lent is the perfect opportunity to either experiment with fasting, give up a little something every day over a period of time, or to stretch yourself into new territory if you have fasted before, if you have participated in Lent before, to say, you know, I want to stretch myself. I want to see what happens when I allow a space in my life to draw my attention to God. So I'd encourage you uh, to join us and participate this time of year. Just as we gathered here this morning, in response to God's summons, God now sends us out to join in the renewal of all things, in our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, and our workplaces. Let us pray as we go. Lord, may we experience your presence throughout the week, recognizing where you are at work and responding to the promptings of your spirit. Give us the wisdom and strength to live the way you've created us to live, reflecting your love for the people and the world around us. Through our actions and our words, may you draw others to journey with us in faith. Send us out today in peace. Amen.